Friday, August the 20th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, protests in Afghanistan and an extended lockdown in Sydney. First, the world in brief. Protesters waving the Afghan national flag turned out in a number of cities, including Kabul, the capital, on August 19th, the anniversary of independence from Britain in 1919. Taliban militants fired on crowds in the city of Asadabad, as they had the day before in Jalalabad. Imams leading Friday prayers have been asked to try to persuade people not to try to leave Afghanistan, according to Reuters. The Taliban are targeting Afghans who worked for NATO or the previous Afghan government, despite its promising not to take, quote, revenge, unquote, collaborators. A report by the Ripto Norwegian Centre for Global Analysis, which provides intelligence to the United Nations, said that those identified on a blacklist or their families are being arrested, interrogated and punished. Authorities in Sydney extended a lockdown until the end of September, as Australia's largest city battles a growing COVID-19 outbreak. Nearly 650 new infections were reported in New South Wales, of which Sydney is the capital on Friday. Sydney ciders have been stuck at home since June. Despite a recent push, the population remains woefully under-vaccinated. A closed-door session of China's legislature ended without its extending a national anti-sanctions law to Hong Kong, as had been widely expected. That law makes it illegal for individuals or entities to comply with many sanctions passed against China. If eventually approved for Hong Kong, it will be of particular concern to the territory's foreign banks. America's Federal Trade Commission refiled a big antitrust lawsuit against Facebook. In June, a federal judge dismissed its complaint for lacking detail and gave the consumer watchdog agency until Thursday to beef it up. The FTC alleges that Facebook is an abusive monopolist, buying and blocking competitors to maintain dominance. OnlyFans, a content subscription platform, will ban sexually explicit content starting in October. The website has been a popular venue for sex workers, owing to its hands-off approach to content moderation. But the firm's payment processes pressured it to change its approach. They are keen to avoid association with material that may be sexually exploitative. Nudity will be permissible in some circumstances. A 49-year-old man from North Carolina who claimed to have a bomb in his truck surrendered to police after an hours-long standoff near the Capitol in Washington, D.C. The suspect made anti-government threats, which he broadcast on Facebook. Congress is in recess, but authorities had evacuated the area of Capitol Hill around the Library of Congress. And fact of the day. 3,000 years. The age of the oldest known prosthetic limb. A piece of wood carved and painted to replace the lost toe of an Egyptian noblewoman. And now, here's today's agenda. New kids on the block. Neobanks. America's banking system finally has some fresh blood. Quote, Neobanks try to make retail banking cheap, easy and accessible. They are fintech firms that partner with small regional banks which hold and insure deposits to drive users with snazzy, fee-free digital products. Most take a cut of customers' debit card spending. Chime, America's largest neobank, was valued at $25 billion in its latest fundraising round last week. Lockdowns, branch closures and swift cashing of stimulus checks, among other factors, helped them to grow. In 2018, the Federal Reserve found that one in five adults felt shut out or poorly served by the banking system. Chime and its peers 
hope to better integrate quote, everyday Americans into financial services. Smaller neobanks serve specific groups, such as migrants. The strategy has its challenges. Enticing hesitant customers is expensive, and competition between neobanks is heating up. To stay ahead, some may venture into lending, acquiring charters, and becoming more like the incumbents they rival. End of Malaise? Malaysia's new Prime Minister The search is on for Malaysia's new Prime Minister. On August 16th, Moyadin Yassin resigned, having held that office for a shorter time than anyone in the country's history. He blamed the quote, kleptocrats in power for his demise, but a worsening COVID-19 epidemic and a non-functioning government is probably more to blame. On August 17th, Sultan Abdullah, the current king, a job that rotates between the country's nine sultans, met party leaders to discuss their positions. He will consult the other sultans today before making an announcement. For the second time in this parliament, the first being the appointment of Mr Muyadin, the king is playing kingmaker. The most likely candidate is Ismail Sabri Yaqob, who served as Mr Muyadin's deputy. He reportedly has the backing of most of the MPs who propped up the government that just collapsed and would represent continuity. As long as that continuity does not include the current dysfunction, Malaysians will be relieved. Alfidesain Put Merkel and Putin's last meeting Angela Merkel will meet Vladimir Putin tomorrow in Moscow, presumably for the last time as German Chancellor. In her 16 years in office, she has met the Russian president more frequently than she has met any other head of state. But there is no love lost between the two veteran leaders. Mrs Merkel has long given up hope that Russia will become a liberal democracy under Mr Putin. That is unsurprising, given Russia's annexation of Ukraine's Crimean Peninsula in 2014, the Kremlin-directed hacking of computers in the German parliament, and, perhaps most of all, the poisoning of Alexei Navalny, the leading opponent of Mr Putin a year ago today. The two will talk about the situation in Afghanistan and the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. After Moscow, Mrs Merkel will travel to Kiev for talks with Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, who is pushing for admittance to NATO to protect his country from another Russian offensive. Hard up. Inflation in emerging markets. Emerging markets, battered by extreme weather and waves of COVID-19, now confront a new headache, rising inflation. Inflation rates across the developing world have leapt well above central banks' target rates. Over the summer, it rose above 5% in Mexico and South Africa, 6% in India and Russia, and 9% in Brazil. Blame soaring prices for food and energy. They have surged as a result of recovering global demand meeting supply disruptions caused by clogged shipping lanes and weather-damaged crops. While high prices help the commodity exporting sectors of some emerging economies, such as Brazil, they are also squeezing household budgets and pushing some central banks to take aggressive action. Both Russia's and Brazil's have raised interest rates by a full percentage point over the past month. Further increases could put vulnerable recoveries at risk, for beleaguered governments battling several crises, an easing of supply bottlenecks cannot come soon enough. Footnotes Our correspondent on mega droughts The American Southwest is drying up. Aaron Braun, our Mountain West correspondent, explained how a century of bad policy exasperated the effects of climate change with severe consequences. 
When Aaron started reporting on water in the West, her first port of call was Cadillac Desert by Mark Reisner, an American environmentalist. Mr. Reisner painstakingly recounts the history of the over-allocated river systems and brings to life the often irresponsible characters that built the region's water infrastructure. Science Be Damned by John Fleck, Director of Water Resources at the University of New Mexico, and Aaron Kuhn, the former General Manager of the Colorado River District, analyzes the Bureau of Reclamation's dubious track record with data. The Colorado River supplies over 40 million Americans across seven states with water and hydropower. This week, its first ever water shortage was declared. A series of white papers explains the impact of climate change and why residents should seriously consider the worst-case scenarios. America's National Drought Monitor is helpful for tracking drought conditions across the country, with interactive maps that compare current conditions to historical averages. One of drought's more dramatic consequences is increasingly damaging wildfires. Kimiko Barrett's History of Fire Suppression for Headwaters Economics, a think tank in Montana, is great for understanding America's evolving relationship with these blazes. Fireline, a podcast from Montana Public Radio, offers a wide-ranging look at fire, why humans need it, how they try to tame it, and how to live alongside it. The American West has always been inhospitable, but it needn't become uninhabitable. Follow Aaron on Twitter to learn more about the urgent policy changes needed in the region. Summer Quiz the winners, week 5. This week, we randomly picked winners from hundreds of correct entries and are crowning one for each continent. First, the answers. The colonial leader whose statue has caused controversy at Oxford University is Cecil Rhodes. Rastafarians call Western society Babylon. Lifted and Ocean Drive are songs by the Lighthouse family. The daughter of Zeus and protector of girls in Greek mythology is Artemis. The theme connecting them all is The Seven Wonders of the Ancient World. The Colossus of Rhodes, Hanging Gardens of Babylon, The Lighthouse at Alexandria, and The Temple of Artemis. Kudos and celebrations for our knowledgeable winners. Asia, Rahul Kar, Muscat Oman. Africa, Madeleine Vakanagel, Naro Moro, Kenya. North America, Mia Carrier, Quebec City, Canada. South America, Philippe de Gamboa, Bogota, Colombia. Europe, Karita Troberg, Helsinki, Finland. Oceana, Andrew Oad, Brisbane, Australia, Antarctica, Guinea Pinho, Deception Island, Antarctica. Thank you to the ancients and everyone who joined in this week. Stay tuned for an even trickier set of questions next week. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Friedrich Wilhelm Joseph Schelling, who died on this day in 1854. To achieve great things, we must be self-confined. Mastery is revealed in limitation. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 